We had such an anointing in that first service, and uh, I just thank God for it. And I've done something different. I don't think I've ever done it this way, but I said to the congregation this morning, and I say it again, I want to welcome every skeptic. If you happen to be here and you say, well, I, I just came from a family, but I'm an atheist, we welcome you and love you today. I'm an agnostic, and agnostic says, they don't say there's no God. They just say until further notice there's no God. In other words, it hadn't been proven yet. So any skeptic, atheist, agnostic in the house, man, we just give you some love this morning. <laughs> Amen. I'm not saying I agree with you. I'm just simply saying I love you. Amen. And the Lord laid on my heart as I was preparing to preach this message this past week. I was studying and just seeking the Lord and saying, God, what do you want me to do? And uh, I've read the story, you know, I'll be, I'm 51 years old. I just turned 51. I can't believe that, but it is what it is. And uh, the alternative, my wife keeps saying, we're just getting older and older. I said, well, there is an alternative. And uh, I just choose to get older and older, amen. And just So nonetheless, but after, you know, this is my 51st Christmas. I can't believe that. But um, I've read the Bible, I mean, so many times, and I've preached the stories, and I've sang the songs. And I, how, many, how many more ways can you do it? But then as I began to read and study and pray this week, I mean, just something kept recurring in my mind again and again and again, and, and that was this statement, I told you he would come. And I got thinking about all of the prophets of old. <clears throat> if they could look at us today, they could just simply say, I told you he was coming. I told you he would come. And so I just wrote it down. I said, well, that's the title of my message. I told you he would come, and I want to go back, if I may, and just tell you <clears throat> In fact, I want to show you that the prophecies of Jesus came hundreds of years, hundreds of years, some actually thousands of years before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, we'll get to this a little bit later, but there's no other religion on planet Earth, none, who had someone prophesy that a leader would rise and found their religion. We are exclusive in that, that the prophets looked down through the annals of time and, and prophesied with pinpoint detail and accuracy when the Messiah would come and how he would be born and where he would be born and all of these things. So we'll deal with that in just a moment. But I'll say this, he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the one that the world was supposedly, the church world anyway, expecting. Now, here's the problem. John chapter 1 says that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He said he came unto his own, that is the Jews, and his own received him not. Now, I want to give you a little bit of why I believe that to be true. He came into this world that was created by him, but the world did not receive him. And he came to his own people, and his own people rejected him. How could that be? I'll tell you how. Because he did not come wrapped in the box that they all thought he ought to come in. He, he came in a different way. He came in his own way. The world expected a king to come, a savior of the world a Messiah would surely be dressed in linen and purple and fine clothes and live sumptuously and come to a palace and ride on the best uh, 
uh, horses of that day, surely it would be a white stallion uh, or a black stallion or some kind of stallion. It wouldn't be the coat, the foal of an ass. And so Jesus chose to come to humble means and humble circumstances, and this would identify his entire ministry. Jesus got up from supper that night, and remember I told you, he took a towel and began to serve people, and now people are wrapped up in titles, and Jesus was wrapped up in towels. Towels being the universal symbol of servitude, you know? And so it amazes me that Jesus came, but he came in a different way. They had no idea that he would come like that. But I want to tell you, the prophets told us he was coming, and they tried their best to tell the world how. They tried their best to tell the church how. But once you get fixated in your own mind of how something ought to be, you will miss it if you're not careful. And I would say to you, here's a real quick caution before we dive off into this, is that if we get so, you know, blinded, that God has to move this way at this time just like he did back then or over there or over here. We will miss the visitation of our Lord. Jesus said, I come to my own and my own did not receive me. I was in the world that I made and the world did not know me. So I, I just utter a word of caution. We have to be so careful because the world did not think that he would come the way he came. He come and was laid in a manger. You know what it is? That's a feeding trough for cows, huh? goats. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. That wasn't precious moments, baby blankets. Swaddling clothes was strips of clothes that they wrapped dead people up in. Are y'all with me? Of course, that's symbolic because he come to die. But he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Now, I, but the prophet had said... Micah said this some years ago. Uh, the prophet looked down through the annals of time. Well, let me back up. Uh, Isaiah first had said in 7 and 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He called his name Emmanuel, for he'll save his people from their sin. You know what he said in chapter um, um, 9 of Isaiah? He said, For unto us a child is born and a son is given. And watch this. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Don't worry about the Democrats or the Republicans or the independents. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Are y'all with me? Say amen. What's this? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And guess what? Of his kingdom there shall never be an end. So, now, so the prophecy came forth by Isaiah 700 plus years before he was born. And then I, I think of the great prophet, uh, you know, in fact, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, Matthew saw these things coming to pass in his sign and said, she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. And, and that's exactly what happened. But then I got thinking about Micah the prophet. Micah said, but thou Bethlehem. In the land of Ephrata, though you're the smallest uh, in the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Isn't that amazing? And then John 7 and 42 says, does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Let me show you how this works out. The prophet said, I told you he'll come. But they did not live right there in Bethlehem. There went out a decree 
from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So Joseph took his espoused wife, are you with me? Great with child and traveled to Bethlehem. Where? The city of David. Because Jesus would be born in the city of David according to the prophet. And so God allowed Caesar Augustus to put out a new tax now. All the world is going to be taxed. And guess what? All the people have got to travel there to pay their tax. They didn't have iPhones back then. They didn't have kiosks. You had to go there. So they get there, and when they get there, lo and behold, she is great with child, and her birth pains hit her. There's no room for them in the inn, and and so they find themselves in a stable, if you will. She brings her firstborn son, lies him in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Are you with me? You remember the shepherds in the field? You know what the Bible said about the shepherds in the field? They saw a great star. Didn't didn't a star lead them? What an amazing thing. And and all of this stuff prophesied. So, and then uh, it didn't happen the night he was born. Some people think the three kings came that night. No, he was probably a few years old by the time they got there because they weren't driving Lexuses back then. They had to travel by foot, and it was a long way. But nonetheless, these three kings of Orient, they're coming to, they call them the Magi. But this is amazing in prophecy. And so I'm trying to show you that the prophets of old spoke. I'm talking about not just one, but we're talking about a myriad of prophets spoke that lived in different periods of time, different geographical locations, and all kinds of, matter of fact, even we're going to find some people that wasn't so great a Christian that spoke and prophesied concerning Jesus. So we'll look at that in just a moment. The Magi, the Bible said that Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes to ask them, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? See, these Magi came, and um, once they saw the Lord, of course, they brought him some gifts. They brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. You remember that? Uh, And so after they worshiped him, they left and were headed, and Herod told them, Herod said, hey, kings, I'm a king too, and I too want to worship him. And when, when you find out where he's at, I want you to come back and tell me so I too can go and worship him. Lies. Y'all with me? There came another prophecy that um, um, it, it comes out of Jeremiah 31. It says, the Lord, this is what the Lord says, there'll be a voice heard in Ramah. Mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And that is a prophecy about an edict that Herod would put out. Herod wanted to find Jesus. That's why he asked the Magi to tell him where he's at so he could have him killed. But these men were warned by an angel not to go back to Herod and tell him where Jesus was. So they departed and went back home another way. So Herod did like my daddy. He decided he wouldn't, we couldn't find out who done whatever happened in the house. He just whipped all of us. He'd say, go get my belt. He'd get me and my two sisters, and he'd line us up. And it didn't matter which one of us done it. He whipped all of us. And he said, well, I, I, and I asked him, you know, why did I, you do that? And he said, well, I know I got the right one. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, that's how it worked in my house. Well, that's kind of what Herod did. Herod said, I can't find out where he's at, and so he wrote a law. 
an executive order of the day. They called it an edict. And this edict said all babies, all of these boys, two years old and under, shall be killed. He says, I'll get him. I'll just do a blanket order and kill them all. But the angel of the Lord, as prophesied by the prophet of old, spoke to Joseph and said, do not return this way, but go down into Egypt because they seek the life of the child. So that it might be fulfilled, Hosea 1 and 1, out of Egypt have I called my son. You see, no less than 12 times Jesus speaking to people would use the phrase so that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet. Whether it was the prophet Jeremiah, Rachel weeping, and he's speaking of that area where Rachel lived, weeping for her children that had been killed. Did you know Herod's own grandson was killed in his edict, in his attempt to kill the Messiah? Uh, you know, uh, and in fact, doesn't that harken way back to the Old Testament? How many of y'all remember a guy by the name of Moses? Mo? Huh? His mama's name was Jochebed. His dad's name was Amram. And you remember, they were down in a foreign country. They had gone down into Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years, if you remember that. But nonetheless, God raised Moses up to deliver. He was a deliverer. He was going to deliver the people out, but right now he's a baby. And the Pharaoh had heard that, that, uh, that a deliverer had been born, that Moses. And so he put out an edict as well. And he said, all Hebrew boys must at once be thrown into the Nile River. And, but, but you know what? The, the, the women, the midwives, thank you, Lord, the midwives that delivered feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And when Moses was born, they gave that baby to, um, to the mom. She nursed him for three months, but you know it's hard to hide a crying baby. And so she finally had to one day just take him down to the Nile River, and she took him down to the Nile. She made her a little boat, pitched it with slime, kissed him, I suppose, on the forehead, and said goodbye and pushed him out into the arms of God right under the Nile River. Amen? The edict was kill every male Hebrew boy. Tried to kill the deliverer. It didn't work. And it did not work in Jesus' day either. Jesus Warned by, or Jesus' father, Joseph, warned by the Lord, carried him down in Egypt. Now, let me back up a little bit because we got a few things we need to straighten out about this anyway. Isaiah said, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now, I know some of y'all have tried to perpetrate that lie. <laughs> behold, a virgin shall conceive. In other words, now, this is crazy because, now, hey, brothers, how, how would you like it if you was Joseph? This beautiful young girl of yours, I mean, that you fell in love with, she comes to tell you, I don't know how this happened, but, but I'm expecting a child. I ain't never been with no man, but I had a great revelation from God. Man, you better hope God gave me that revelation too. But God did. Now, I imagine that Joseph was struggling with this, as I would have been and probably most of you brothers. And, um, but, but an angel, the Bible says, Gabriel came to him and said, don't put her away. I know you could. He said, well, don't put her away because she has been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And this that she carries is the Son of God. Hello? 
And it is the fulfillment of Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And I imagine that Gabriel might have even took him over to the scroll and said, Remember, read it right here. You know, 720 years ago, a prophet said, A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The government will be upon his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. So uh, when the angel dealt with him, hey, matter of fact, that same angel went over to um, to Elizabeth's house and John's house. Now, Elizabeth was cousin to Mary. Now, there, there's another prophecy working right here. And um, the Bible said there would be somebody that would go before Jesus like the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And guess what? That same angel told a barren woman named Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. Oh, really? Yeah, you're going to have a baby. And let me say this. Anytime God opened the womb of a barren woman in the Scripture, that child was set up for something amazing. Huh, you need some names. John the Baptist. Huh? John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he was that one that came crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. Amen. Cousin to Jesus. He's the one that held him in the river that day. And he's the one that baptized him in heaven open. And, and John's the one that said, that's Jesus. He's, you know, he come after me, but he's preferred before me. The latch of the shoes, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Yeah, so, so it's amazing what's happened. But this angel prophesied this to, to Elizabeth that John was coming. And uh, guess what? John showed up just like the angel said. And this angel went to Mary, said, Hail, thou art highly favored among women. And I, I'm going to overshadow you, and this is going to happen. This angel went to Joseph. This angel also went to uh, another woman in Scripture. Are y'all with me? Samson's mother. And told him, she was barren too, but you're going to have a baby. Amen. There's another one in the Bible. Her name was Hannah. Her husband was Elkanah. Their son was named Samuel. He was raised in the house of God at Shiloh under the auspices of Eli the high priest. Are you with me? And any of these guys who came forth from a barren womb, when God opened a barren womb, you could guarantee that kid was going to make its mark on humanity. For the kid. And I would say today he does the same thing. So let me move on. So, so Herod tries to murder the babies, but a prophecy they read in Jeremiah 31, 15 that told them all about it. And then they escaped to Egypt that it might be fulfilled what Hosea said in 11 and 1. Well, out of Egypt have I called my son. And then after, um, uh, after Herod died, they're on their way back. And as they're headed back, uh, it looks like it's going to foul up prophecy now because the prophecy said that he would be called a Nazarene. So he's on his way back now from, from Egypt, and, and they're headed back, and uh, something happened. Verse, 20, or verse 19 of Matthew 2, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are take, trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. Uh-oh. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a little town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he should be called a Nazarene. God don't leave no details out. So if you're a skeptic today and you're looking and saying, there's just, there's just too many holes in all of this, 
hear me out. Amen? Because there, there's, you, you think you've got to have faith to, to believe in Jesus Christ. Man, you really got to have faith to believe in evolution. You've got to have a truckload of it because of all the missing links. But, but let me tell you something. Today, in fact, our life groups won't launch until February, but there's one that we're going to, uh, I want to just sort of drop a dime on real quick. And have you ever heard of Lee Strobel? Dr. Lee Strobel? Investigative reporter. He was a full-out skeptic. He was an atheist. And uh, he, he, he set out to prove legally because that's only, you know, he wants to look at evidence objective. You know, most time you come to the table with some sort of prejudice, some sort of bias. He said, but I really want to come objectively and look at all of it. And he's an investigative reporter, world-renowned guy. And so, you know what he did? He traveled this country and the world over. He sat down with some of the greatest evolutionists in their field, some of the greatest skeptics, some of the biggest theologians and greatest minds on all sides of it. And when he concluded his argument, he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And that's going to be one of the life groups this semester. And man, if you're having any trouble dealing with some word of God that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he was born as the word said, that he lived as the word said, that he died and was buried and resurrected and ascended back to the Father and coming back again. If you got any trouble believing that, you might want to check that one out. But John says this, Nazareth, John wrote it, but Philip's the one talking. Can any good thing come from there? Or Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. So uh, here's what I need you to know, that Jesus was our unique Savior. Many people in our culture promote the ridiculous claim that Jesus was just another religious leader and a good person at heart and came to make life better for other people. But Jesus is more than just another leader. Let me help you. First of all, he was a good person. There is none good, no, not one. But Jesus was sinless. He was spotless. Uh, he was the one that could die for us because he had no sin. Now, I want you to understand, you take all of the religions in the world, whatever you want to choose. Let me just help you understand. There was no prophecies foretelling the details of the birth of a religious leader for the Muslims. No one said Muhammad uh, would come and found Islam. No one said that Joseph Smith would found Mormonism. No prophet wrote that David Koresh would, would start the Branch Davidians. No one wrote that Charles Taze Russell would found the Watchtower Bible Society and Jehovah's Witnesses. No one said that Gautama would found Buddhism or any other world religion. But dozens of prophets said that Jesus Christ would be born the son of the living God. They said where he would be born. They said how he would live. They said how he would be treated. They said how he would die. They said they would gamble for his clothes. That they would plant a crown of thorns upon his head. That, that, that all of these things. In fact, Jesus himself said some things. He was talking just, you know, shortly before he died. And he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they laughed at him and they said, this temple was 40 and 6 years in the building and you will raise it in three days. They were talking about Solomon's temple and he was talking about his own temple. Are you with me? They didn't get it. The world, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world didn't even know him. They thought he was a kook. They thought he was crazy. 
But Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. Guess what? Who is he that ascended on high, Paul said, but first descended to the lower parts and preached deliverance to the captives. It's the same one that told a thief on the cross, this day thou shalt be with me where? In paradise. It's the same one that John said, I am, or John spoke of Jesus and said, he said, I am he that liveth. I was dead and yet I'm alive forevermore and I have now the keys of death and hell. Amen? Why? Because prophecy has been fulfilled. I told you he was coming. Mm, 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 mm. Well, that's not enough. The Bible said that he would be the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and David. If that's not enough, we go on. We find that the Bible said that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. It said that he would be betrayed by a close friend. It said that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. It said that the money would be used to buy the potter's field. It said that he would be a sacrificial death for us. That he would die with criminals and be buried with wealthy people. That he would raise from the dead, rise from the dead. That he would say certain words on the cross. That he would be mocked and that people would gamble for his clothes. Many, many, many other prophecies that, that line the word of God that tell us that things would happen in his lifetime and they happened and let me submit something to you if all of those things happened that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before he got here they were fulfilled in his lifetime and at his death I would submit to you that from that point this way coming on to the return of the Lord as surely as those things took place just like the book said the latter half is going to take place just like the first half did I told you, he is coming. Well, all through the scripture, I mean, again and again and again, we have the predictions uh, that, that he is coming, that he is Lord. And people choose to be willingly ignorant sometimes. But I look at the prophecies, oh my goodness. I think about the prophecies that have come to pass. I think about all the things that have been done. Lord, have mercy. And, and God just showing himself to be so real, so accurate, so, so pointed. I mean, uh, all, did you know before we ever read it in an encyclopedia, God had already wrote it in the book. We knew that Rome would be impacted. Did you know there was, you know, the, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the, 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 the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Grecians, and then the Romans, the world empires that ruled the world. And the prophets wrote it in the book that Rome would be in power when Jesus came. How did they just guess that? How did they just guess? How did they just guess that? Thing? Why is it happening exactly like he said? You know what Daniel said? Daniel 12, he was talking about the, 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 the quantum leap of technology and all that. Did you know for thousands and thousands of years, man, when you crossed the, the ocean, you did it in a boat? Are you with me? I mean, now you can get in a jet plane. Now we've sent people to the moon. We got iPhones. Man, you got five-year-olds running iPhone 10s. Are y'all with me? Technology has boomed. It is crazy. I'm preaching right now literally around the world. People can see. I'm feeling another prophecy that every eye would behold the Antichrist when he stands in the temple of Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God. 
See, all these things have happened and come to pass, just like he said. So everybody prophesied all of these things. It was, it was crazy, all these things that was prophesied. Uh, but I want to take you to one more person. And this guy ain't really got no great reputation. But I want to take you there anyway. Comes out of the book of Numbers, third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. In the book of Numbers, chapter number 24, we got a fellow by the name of Balaam. Balaam is kind of half hearted serving God. He was serving him pretty good until somebody offered him a big pile of money to come and curse Israel. And when the money got right, he thought, well, maybe the Lord would forgive me, you know, if I just go on over and say a couple words ugly about Israel. I'll give me a big payday. And, and, you know, come on back. And God spoke to Balaam and said, don't go. Balak, you know, wanted him to come and curse Israel. And God said to him, don't go. Matter of fact, Balaam was on his way. He saddled up his donkey, and he's headed to, you know, curse Israel. And he saw the angel of God standing in the, in the road with a drawn sword. The angel of God was going to kill him if he come that way. He told him not to go. And, and the donkey turned off the road and just went into a field. Balaam got off and took a limb and smote that donkey. He got back up on him and get back over here on the road. And yeah, he's headed back down the road, and there's the angel standing so he turns off the other way. Balaam gets off and he grabs a limb and he wears him out again. He gets back on the donkey. Basically, kind of this attitude, look how I feed you. I'm driving this thing. You go where I tell you to go. And the donkey had more sense than he did. He was more spiritually attuned to what God was doing. And so he's crossing this little narrow bridge now. And there stands the angel right in the middle of the bridge. Here comes that donkey, and that donkey sees him with a drawn sword in his hand, about to kill him. And instead of going right on into the, to the, to the, to the angel, the donkey tried to turn, but he couldn't, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the bridge. He got off and grabbed a limb, and he beat the brakes off of that donkey. And God opened the donkey's mouth. And he looked at Balaam and said, Am I not thine own ass? Have you not ridden me all these years? And have I ever disobeyed? Have I ever done any of this? Let me tell you, God can use even an ass. He can use whoever he wants to use. And so God finally, he didn't want to, but Balaam went on to meet Balak. Now he got there, and he's feeling bad about deciding to go do this. And so he tells Balak to start with, he said, look, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm coming but I can only say whatever God tells me. But in his heart, he knows he's coming to get paid to curse Israel. So he said, I need to be able to see them from a lofty point. So they go up on the mountain, and they look out, and he sees the tents. And he walks out there, sees Israel. And he's supposed to go out there and curse them. And he got out there, and he lifted up his hands, and couldn't nothing but blessings come out. There they are. The children of Israel, blessed are they. And then multiplying. And, and, and Balak gets so mad, he's thinking that any moment he's going to say something negative. And, and Balak says, hey, I called you here to come and curse them. He said, I told you when I came. I couldn't go beyond the word of God, whatever he told me. I, I, I couldn't say no more or no less. And he said, but perhaps if I could see them from a different angle. So they went up to another height and they looked down. And Balak walked out there. And he went to 
thinking uh, he would curse them and he lifted his hands and all he could speak was blessings. Balak got so mad, he said, listen, listen, I've called you to come and curse my enemy. He said, Balaam said, well, I, I tell you what, maybe I need to go to a higher place and I'll look down from another place and maybe I could curse them. And so he goes, he goes to a high place and he walks out there and he's got his mind set and you know, I'm going to curse them now. And he goes out there and he looks out and sees their tents and just, and he lifts his hands and he starts to pronounce a curse and God gets a hold of his tongue. And there he begins to prophesy blessings upon them. He begins to prophesy multiplication upon them. He begins to prophesy the good things that God has in store for them. And, and Balak just, he, it blows his mind. I have called you to come and bless them in these three times. I've called you to curse them in three times. You have blessed them. He said, I listen, I told you when I came, I couldn't speak no more than what God would allow me to speak. But there's one more thing Balaam said before he left. Now I want to tell you, Balaam was a wishy-washy guy. He was bought off. God just didn't allow him to go through with it. But I can see him now as the Spirit of the Lord's on him. And he began to utter something else. He said, I see him. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. He'll crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the people of Shem. I want to tell you this half-hearted, half-cocked prophet of God. He opened his mouth to, to curse but God said, you cannot curse those that I've blessed. I'm going to tell you, I ain't worried about no witch. I ain't worried about somebody rolling out tarot cards or palm reading. If God has called me blessed, I am blessed in spite of what anybody says. Balaam said, I see him. It's a long way off. I see him, but not now. I see him, but not near. But a scepter will rise out of Jacob. <laughs> and the Bible says the scepter will never leave him. He will always have dominion of his kingdom and his rule. There shall never be an end. He will sit on the throne of his father David. Are y'all with me? Somebody ought to say amen. I told you he was coming. Stand with me if you will. For a skeptic, an atheist, an agnostic, man, I tell you, I love you. I would encourage you, I would implore you to lay all the evidence on the table and just let it speak objectively. Just let it speak up objectively. Either it's happened or it hasn't. It's true or it's not. And you know, every time they dig up something else in Jerusalem, every time there's another archaeological find, it uncovers something else to substantiate. They keep thinking, well, one day we're going to prove that this Christendom and all this is a hoax. And they dig up something else and it validates another scripture. And it validates something else and something else and something else. Here's what the deal is. Thy word, O God, has been forever settled in heaven. And not a jot or tittle shall ever pass away but it shall all be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Amen. Every word of holy writ will come to pass just like God said. How did God do it? Holy men of old wrote as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. Can I tell you something? One of the greatest archaeological finds in all of history 
I think it was 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls was found. Did you know, until we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the closest dated manuscripts of the Bible that we had was 1,100 plus years old. That's close as we had. But did you know at Qumran when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they took us all the way back to the century where Jesus walked. Huh? Finding entire books of the Bible, finding uh, stuff we never dreamed before in a cave in Qumran. We have more copies and more evidence of the Bible than any literary work in all of history, period. Nothing has outlasted the Word of God. And it won't. I told you He would come. Now, I want to say this to you. I'm getting ready. Let me just let you be seated for just a second because I need you to do something for me. If you'll reach down, if you're on this side, I think it's at your seat there. There's The sacraments is in a, in a small bucket right beside you. I need you, if you would, to pass that down your aisle. We're going to take communion together this morning, but I think it's important that you know something. The Bible says concerning communion, it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But Paul said to the Corinthians, some people have eaten and drank unworthily, and many are sick, and some are dead because of it. Thank you. So how do we make sure we don't eat or drink unworthily? Paul said, let a man examine himself to see whether he's in the faith. In other words, I need to look at my life and say, Lord, is there anything in here that disqualifies me, that's taken me out of Christ's likeness? If, if there's anything that I need to get under the blood, because I don't want to eat and drink damnation to myself. So let me pray for you right now. And if you're here today, maybe you're skeptic, maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're atheist, maybe, maybe you're lost and undone without God. Hey, that's great. You're in a great place. You're in a place right now to do a U-turn in life. I'm glad God allows it. So I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's somebody right here, Lord, that needs to make things right with you, your word simply says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, I shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. So, Lord, I confess that you are the Son of God and that I need you in my heart and in my life. I want you to come in and deliver me from guilt, sin, all of that. I just need you. You see, I had something hit me here a while back. I was in a, um, I was in a shoe store, and, and I had sort of a revelation that God gave me about sin and what Satan is selling. I got thinking while I was in the shoe store, I, I can't buy a steak in the shoe store. I can't buy tools in a shoe store. I can't buy food in a shoe store because they don't sell it. Likewise, if you're trying to live that life with Satan, he ain't selling what you need. All the shoe store sells is shoes and things to go with shoes, socks and laces and whatever. And all Satan is selling is things that go with sin that will damn your soul. That's all he's selling. He, he, he don't have what you need. 
So just get out of his store altogether. And understand that you, you can't go to him for nothing, ma'am, because all he's doing is selling his goods. But if you call on the Lord Jesus, the Bible says if we'll call on the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved. So right now, Father, if there's one that don't know you, if there's one that's lost and undone, if there's a skeptic, if there's an atheist or an agnostic that's struggling right now, God, give them the courage to look objectively at what I've said today. Now, thank you, God, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. If you'll take this uh, prepackaged sacrament, the very top piece is clear and it exposes the bread, then the foil opens the juice cup. Bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you. Not a bone was broken, but he was beat to a bloody pulp. Meat hung from his body. His, he was open. You see, he was beaten and then crucified. That was actually illegal. You could never have both. You was either scourged or you was crucified, but not both. But they changed the rules for Jesus. See, this is my body that is broken for you. And when we take of the sacraments, we are looking back. We're looking back at a couple things right now. Number one, the birth. We're celebrating tomorrow the birth of Jesus Christ. I know we commercialize. It's not about Santa Claus. I mean, you know, that traditional stuff. And we have fun with gifts and all that stuff. But it's about Jesus Christ. Whether that was the actual day he was born, I don't know, nor do I care. All I know is he was born. He came to this earth. So Paul said that this is the body and the blood of the Lord. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So we remember today. We look back at his birth. I look at him coming, and then I look at his life. I look at the, the prophecies fulfilled, and then I look at his death. I look at his burial. I look at his resurrection. I look at his ascension. When he ascended to the heavens, two angels on either side said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens? For this same Jesus you have seen go in like manner shall come again. Bottom line, Jesus just said, I'll be back. I'll be back. So we, we look that way. He said, as often as you do that, do it in remembrance of me. But then he says, in so doing, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. That until is the dash between when he ascended back to the Father and when he comes back for us. And so by us doing this, we're saying, Lord, I believe in that that you came, that you lived, that you died, that you were buried, that you rose again, that you're seated at the right hand of majesty right now, waiting on the day when the Father nods and says, go get them. It's time for them to come home. Why? Because he's been in a place preparing for you and I. And the trumpet of the Lord's going to sound and Jesus is going to come. Amen. And so we look back at Calvary, we look back at the birth, and then we look forward to the day. And by taking this, I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me for us to do this. By taking the bread, this is the body of Jesus, we hold this and we say, Lord, I'm holding on and I'm believing. You may take the bread. That night when he was betrayed by Judas, he said, this is the last time I'm going to eat this with you. I won't do it no more until it's all fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
After supper, you know, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and took Peter, James, and John to pray. They got sleepy, and he asked them a few times, could you not watch with me for an hour? Could you not just stay up and hang out with me for an hour? They got sleepy, and finally, after the third time, Jesus done prayed most of the night till the sweat become as great drops of blood. He said to Simon Peter, just sleep on now. I done prayed through over this thing. I've already decided, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Amen. And this cup is the New Testament in his blood. And I'm going to tell you something. What we're saying is, Lord, I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, of the sacrificial lamb that shed that blood for me. Let me take the cup. Adam, would you sing something for us?